The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Well, this week... Once again, I'm turning to the files of IANS to bring you some of the stories submitted to IANS by near-death experiencers and others. There are many forms of mystical experience, uh, as well as NDEs. This first story is one of those. I chose it to remind listeners not to discount any mystical experiences you may encounter in your own life. This introduction, although this account does not include a typical near-death experience, reports a shared experience of transcendent love, a love of which near-death experiencers also speak. And the woman writes, My brother and I were born and grew up in Belgium in a loving Roman Catholic family. My childhood years were beautiful and uneventful. As a child, instead of praying, I remember talking to my invisible friend Jesus. He was my soulmate, and I entrusted him with all my fears and desires. I always felt loved, yet never truly at home anywhere. I told my mom many times, I don't belong here. Of course, as a child, I thought this meant I didn't like Belgium and would want to move away once I was older. As a teenager, I was a high achiever. However, I did not have many goals. I wanted to become a doctor so I could lessen the suffering in third world countries. There's always been a desire in me to heal pain in people and animals. When my best friend's mother was dying, I preferred sitting beside her bed instead of playing with my friend. My plans to become a doctor changed when I met my loving husband. This is a wonderful love story in and of itself, but it would take this story too long. Shortly after, we married and started our little family. And being a mom to three wonderful children was my first introduction to unconditional love. My husband made my overseas dream come true. After 10 years of marriage, our little family moved to New Zealand. This new country became my spiritual home. The feeling of not belonging uh, lessened a lot in this beautiful country. However, it still lingered in the background. Being surrounded by the splendid New Zealand nature inspired me to start painting. I discovered what freedom was for the first time, and I wanted to set myself mentally free from everything and everybody. It reminded me of the walls of conditioning of my old life. This included my birth country. Belgian relatives, religious upbringing, cultural, social, and educational influences, etc. I wanted to start anew. I discovered the love for long walks and hikes in the national parks. While building this new life, my mind was still very much focused on needing people and things around me for my happiness. I was afraid of losing my health, my loved ones, and my beautiful things like the place I live in, etc. Although I felt much more free than ever before, I was still defined by the many roles I played. This was all about to change. A dear friend of mine became terminally ill and asked me to be her companion on this difficult journey. Together we walked a path of sickness and suffering. She confided in me I was her rock. Yet I didn't feel the stability I represented in, in her, for her inside myself. Ultimately, all of the suffering brought me down to my knees. It appeared that life had lost its beauty. Deep inside, I knew beauty was still there, but I just could not 
connect with it. A strong urge forced me to retreat from her for some time. There was the fear of her passing away in the meantime, however, so I had no choice. It felt unfair to be with her when I was so downhearted and scared. I hit rock bottom and had no idea how to get out. Being with my close family helped, but I was afraid of pulling them down also. The only place where I found quietude was in my garden, planting and caring for new life. One day, out of a desperate need for some peace inside my mind, I went to the library for some tapes with talks on meditation techniques. While working in the garden, I listened to these spiritual talks. It was on one of those days that my neighbor came to have a chat with me and asked what I was listening to. He knew about my sick friend, and I shared with him that I was exploring Buddhism to help me understand what was happening. He mentioned that he had read a Buddhist book, the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, that I might be interested in. I took up his offer then and there because deep down I felt an urgent need to read this book. This wholesome book lifted me out of the black hole of meaninglessness and gave me a new perspective on the situation. Life started to flow again. With this renewed energy, I felt ready to go back to my dying friend. When I spoke to her on the phone, she said she always knew I was coming back to her. From that day onwards, we were together till the day she passed away. I had a strong desire to spend time with her. During my retreat, she had also inquired into herself and was moving more towards healing her mind rather than focusing on curing her body. I listened while she talked. She went over all the difficult moments in her life and set them free. In her mind, a beautiful loving kindness and forgiveness took the place of anger and resentment. A deep peace arose in us. One early morning, I arrived at her home to find her all by herself in terrible pain. Her husband, who knew I was coming over that day, had had to leave for the day to go to an important business meeting. Their children were at school. My friend, paralyzed by pain, could barely speak to me. It was the kind of pain that no common painkiller was going to relieve. She needed professional help, and we decided to take her to the doctor. While she was sitting in the waiting room, I looked. At, she looked at me, and I could see a primal fear in her eyes. She knew she was going to die soon, but she didn't want to confront it. I was hoping the doctor was going to tell her, and he did in a way. When the doctor mentioned that it was uh, the right time to get the hospice involved, my friend panicked. Quote, I'm not going to die. The hospice is for dying people, she cried. The doctor quickly reassured her that the reason he brought it up was that he needed the help of the hospice to manage her pain. This calmed her down. The doctor gave her a prescription for morphine. I drove her to the pharmacy and asked her to stay in the car while I was getting the medicine. We both needed this time alone to come to terms with what was happening. When I returned back to the car, I found her crying, and she asked me directly, Am I going to die? Yes, you are, my friend, I said. She was panic-stricken. Then I started talking, and I did not know where it came from. I can't recall what I said word for word because I wouldn't do it justice. Something in me started to speak about death, dying, and the realm she was going to go to. My being felt guided, and the words that were spoken were so intimate, loving, and beautiful, it profoundly changed my friend. 
Her face changed from sheer terror into a radiant face of pure happiness. All this happened in an instant, in my car, in a parking lot, while she was still in terrible pain. I was the witness and simultaneously the deliverer of a pure awakening. While driving her home, I could feel this bliss penetrating my being. I've never felt so alive. I I put her to bed and gave her the morphine. Before she took the medicine, she said, I'm so happy. I've never been so happy in my in my life. Her whole being was expressing this message. I have read about awakening in books and understood it intellectually, and on, on that auspicious day, I observed and experienced awakening in action. My friend became one with an unspeakable love. She kept saying all over again, I'm so happy. I love you. I love you. In my being, this love felt similar to the unconditional love for my loved ones, and yet, at the same time, it was so much bigger and all-encompassing. It was holding us, and we surrendered to it without question. We felt united in this loving presence, never to be parted again. During her last days, she had only one request for me. Can you please do for others what you've done for me? Yes, I replied, not knowing what that would actually entail until much later. The evening before she died, when I was about to leave the room, she said, You know, don't you, that you are more than a friend? I trusted her words, but it wasn't until a decade later before I fully understood her words. Her request and message became the guiding force in my life. Who I was was changed forever. The next morning, her husband asked me to come over quickly because my friend had gone into a coma that night and hadn't opened her eyes since. The moment I walked into her room, she opened her eyes one last time. I lay beside her and took her in my arms. We told her that a neighbor was bringing her children home from school. My friend postponed dying until her children were there. It was a heartbreaking moment for the family. A sadness for her passing arose in my being, and simultaneously pure bliss was present. An instant after she passed away, all the lines on her face disappeared, and she looked radiant and totally at peace. What an extraordinary beauty, beautiful mystery death is. My whole being was one with this blissful presence for weeks after she passed away. After this profound experience, I just wanted to retreat inside my own being and stay there forever. However, over time, a strong force of the outside world pulled me back into the reality of family, friends, commitments, and so forth. Slowly, this beautiful presence seemed to disappear in the hustle and bustle of my life. A feeling similar to homesickness came over me. My being wanted to go back to that state of presence where I knew I belonged. I knew that our communion was still there, even on a deeper level than when she was in her body. A few months after her death, I started to become aware of kingfisher birds. I don't know why exactly, but every time I see one of those beautiful birds, it touches something profound in me, and it opens my heart to its blissful presence. Now this little bird has become a symbol of bliss and joy. For years it appeared to be impossible to stay one with this love and simultaneously function normally in the world. It created a discord in me. I wanted intensely to integrate this way of being into my daily life. I searched and searched for years trying to find the answer and 
spiritual books and in nature. In some books, I discovered that other people have had similar experiences of this love. I found a lot of strength, uh, a lot of strength, similarities and encouragement in the stories of people who have had a near-death experience. Although what I had experienced was not an actual NDE, it was still very helpful and healing because for a while I felt alone with this experience of profound love. Listening to classical music and chanting spiritual mantras was helpful in seeing the bigger symphony of life in which all is interconnected. During that period, I tried to put into action the request of my friend, can you please do for others what you've done for me? I searched for the answer of this request in doing charity work. I volunteered in a hospice, serving coffee and tea to the dying people and writing some of the people's biographies, all in the hope of reconnecting with this presence I have encountered the most wonderful people on this journey. Still, I rarely uh, felt the encompassing, blissful love. Suddenly, there was a realization that the I that was searching for this love had to move out of the way to make room for this love in my being to express itself. I stopped all volunteer work until recently when I knew for sure I was it was love being at the service of love when I knew for sure it was love, being at service to love, being at service to love. Sorry about that. Once the seeker in me had stopped seeking, the deeper connections in life started coming effortlessly. It wasn't until eight years after she passed away that I started to understand this more deeply. Her request had nothing to do with doing loving things for others, but more with being in love with what is within myself and others. At this time, a number of injuries started severely afflicting my life. As a child, I fell out of a rope swing and unknowingly damaged two discs in my cervical spine. It wasn't until my mid-40s, after another spinal accident, that I started to have tremendous pain in my neck, shoulders, and head. Years of meditation helped me to cope with the pain, which would only flare up sporadically in the beginning, then become chronic over five years. I learned to live with it and used it as my teaching to let go of lots of unnecessary things, mainly mental conditioning. The profoundest teaching was that within the most terrible pain, this beautiful love was still present. I felt even stronger because there was no energy left for my ego mind to play around. Fortunately, I was helped by a friend who was a spinal surgeon, and after the surgery, the pain slowly subsided. The lessons learned over this challenging period have been extremely helpful in the deeper understanding of this love. While my body was in pain, I knew I was not, I was not the pain, but I connected with the love and compassion holding my being within this pain. Sharing my story touches a deeper place of loving oneness in others, and the meetings are on a profounder level. I'm extending this gift to whoever's ready for it. It is the only way to keep this beautiful gift of love alive. I won't know until I face it, however. I feel that my fear of death is gone, and it is replaced with a desire to be with people who are on the threshold of dying, either physically or metaphorically, when they let go of their old sense of self. I've been the receiver of many beautiful messages given to me by people before they died in order to pass on. I am continuously witnessing beautiful transformations in loved ones who are willing to explore this deeper essence. The depth of their transformation is in direct relationship 
with their openness to look anew. Each person's transformation is authentically unique. Words fail to describe the depth and the fullness of this loving presence and oneness. The closest description of this experience is a love that overflows and it wants to share itself again and again, and in doing so, it intensifies in others. For me, it is the only way forward in healing a world riddled with separation. It asks me again and again to look at life anew without judgment, without condemnation, without separation. And now that I have seen this gift in action time and time again, this is the only way I want to live. Now the world around me starts to reflect this love. I see it in my husband, children, children-in-law, grandchildren, parents, siblings, friends, and in people whom I met on my journey. Now a profound urge is always present to commune from this deeper place of love. It expresses itself in my poetry and art, but mainly simply in my being. In sharing, I am this love. In sharing, I am more than a friend. I am the blessed giver and receiver of this love. I am and live in love. I would like to end my story with a poem. This is the first poem I wrote while I was painting in my studio. It was two years after my friend's passing, and something in me asked to stop painting and write this down. If I tell you about our beauty I see in you, would you truly see it? If I tell you about our love song I hear in you, would you truly hear it? If I tell you our touch warms my whole body, would you truly feel it? When tears cut open my heart, would you truly be here to receive our sorrow? When your smile brightens the light in my eyes, would you truly hold the flame of our passion? When I tell you you are me and I am you, would you truly understand our oneness and love? If you do, you and I can never be alone anymore. With this precious gift in our hearts, all hurt is gone. We live forever as one. Now, I think we might just have time for uh, another short story. This is uh, also from a young woman who uh, who uh, wrote into Ions with her tale. She titled it, I am a bird and thus starts my life. I experienced my NDE as a 19-year-old university student during a particularly strenu- strenuous and exam-laden part of the semester. I had been uh, stressing and studying and had uh, neglected to eat or sleep much that week. I was outside one night when my boyfriend of the time and another friend to unwind to take a break from our books. Uh, we were uh, having a pleasant and commonplace chat between us. We had smoked a bit of marijuana, which was something for which I had quite a tolerance, and had smoked a few cigarettes. I used both of these substances, marijuana and tobacco, on a frequent basis with no negative effects. But that night, I suppose, due to the combination of mental and physical stress along with the substances, I suddenly began to feel very faint. In a whirlwind, I felt my blood pressure plummet and my vision began to be interposed with black dots ringed about around the edges by a sickly green I was leaning against a car beside my boyfriend and tried to reach out for him and call his name, but I was unable to at that point. As the black dots multiplied and filled my vision, I knew that I was going down. There was an intense buzzing in my ears. This was my first time fainting, and the impression I had was like 
film running through a projector which has ignited and started to be eaten away at spots, finally to be consumed by darkness. All was perfectly black and quiet at this point. I had no awareness of my body and felt nothing. It was all just blank and silent, no thoughts, just blankness, blackness. Very soon after, I suddenly found myself in the middle back seat of a car. There were four other people in the car, one in each of the other seats. This uh, phase of my experience is hazy. I did not look closely at the people or my surroundings, but it was a place with a subtle brightness to it. I was frightened and confused, but not overly so, because I felt that these people were there to protect and help me. I'm an only child, but I felt as if these people were my four brothers, people I had known my whole life. I have the notion that they were all male and a little bit older than I was at that point in my life. I was aware that they were communicating amongst themselves, debating on where to take me. I did not perceive the specifics of their conversation. I just caught the general gist. I trusted their judgment and kept quiet. I did not have long to wait for them to make that decision. The next thing I knew, I was barreling down a pristine white enamel canyon at breakneck speed, wind whooshing through my ears. I first thought that I was riding on the back of a brilliantly colored bird as I found my vantage point to be right above it. It was white with a very faint tinge of lavender, and its feathers were swirling with uh, moving incandescence. Everything, including the bird, emanated a pure, otherworldly white light. It was all etched in sharp, clear colors. It was the most beautiful place I have ever seen. There were stately green trees growing up from the canyon floor, and a small crystalline stream ran through it. The bird lowered its flight to tree level and was weaving in and out of the tall trees, going faster than I've ever felt myself move. I worried that the bird might accidentally connect with one of these trees, plummeting us both. At this point, I realized that I was the one controlling the bird's actions. I actually was the bird. My vantage point switched to the eyes of the bird itself. I confidently navigated between the trees, right, left, right, as if it were second nature. I knew at this point there was somewhere I had to go, that this was that it was the most important thing I have ever had to do. I somehow knew that at the end of this canyon, toward which I was straining with my every fiber, lay perfect bliss, love, and acceptance. I've never wanted something so much as I wanted to reach my destination in that place faster. A voice startled me from behind. I ignored it. It persisted and eventually started grabbing at me. I was supremely annoyed that anyone would think to bother me at this this most important, important moment in my life. In a fury and physically sickened by the interruption, it seemed that I momentarily glanced back as if to say, What? Go away. That's when I woke up in my old body, in my old life. It felt like something had hung the shabby, moth-eaten drapery of reality around me again, blocking that beautiful place from my sight. I was profoundly dejected. I'd been so damn close. As I lay on the cement, head throbbing, gut churning, I couldn't help but think that I had been dropped back into the dream world. This place, this reality, seemed so much foggier and darker than the other place, so much less real. I was informed at this point that I had fainted, took a pretty good hit to the head on the pavement, remained unconscious for a time, then had a seizure. I had perfect recall of the reality that I had experienced and spilled it out enthusiastically to 
somewhat uninterested ears. I think it is pertinent to note that my NDE timeline seems to match up with what happened to my body in the physical world. Namely, I was in the car while passed out, cold, and was flying through the canyon during the uh, syncope. The uh, actual timing of these events seems to, to line up about two minutes out cold in the car and one minute seizing flying. In any case, my disillusionment with reality did not last long at all, maybe a day or two. More than anything, I felt a profound gratitude for being shown something which most people are not permitted to see in this lifetime. It has given me a bolstering sense of confidence that the universe is good and that it is constantly ready to take us up in the, its embrace of perfect love. We are not alone, and there is no reason to fear death, as it is not an ending, but a beginning. I think about and draw strength from my NDE every day. I was not raised with any sort of religion, and I still mistrust it as an imperfect human invention prone to manipulate people for worldly ends. But if it brings you comfort and peace, go for it. I now believe in God, if I may call it that. God, for me, is the gentle light which imbues everything with being and which loves us all. I think that if such a thing as hell exists, it must be your own conscience uh, temporarily making you suffer for your misdeeds because the light that I felt had no taint of judgment. My very personal experience of and relationship with this light brings me untold comfort and motivates me to do good in this world. I feel more empathetic with others than before and less judgmental. I realize now more than ever that kindness and helping others is a direct manifestation of the light. And the best we can do in this world is to multiply the incandescence of God here on earth. It feeds our soul and the souls of others. Why else would we be here in this flimsy and imperfect place? Suffering exists to give us a chance to overcome and to grow, to create something beautiful out of something ugly is the ultimate gratification. A few comments on my health related to my NDE. I suffered from periodic migraine headaches before the incident, but have not had one since then, almost 13 years ago now. I'd never had a seizure before the event, and have not had one since. Epilepsy has been tested for, and the results were negative. An MRI was also performed after that event to assess the extent of any brain damage, and none was found. I'm afraid of having a repeat uh, fainting episode, and I have the feeling that I could just fly out of my body at any time. Ironic, as I have lost my fear of death. I guess pain and suffering still scare me. This is a source of anxiety, but one that I have learned to dampen. I seem to be more sensitive to loud noises and pharmaceuticals than before, and have lost interest in certain superficial things like popular television and the accumulation of material possessions. I continue to struggle with lifelong self-esteem issues, but I feel that I am finally beginning to come to terms with them, not in any small way because of my NDE and the thoughts and the insights that it has given me, insights which seem to become even more powerful as the years go by. As a last thought, I do not doubt that the details of my experience were specific to me. 
This is not to say that it was unreal, rather that we embellish or sometimes someone else embellishes this experience for us uh, to be as personally salient and comforting as possible. For me, being a passive passenger in the car was relevant because I had not yet learned to drive at that point in my life and struggled with self-esteem issues. The age and gender of my helpers would represent the demographic in whom I could have trust and confidence at that point in my life. Also, more helpers equals more confidence, which I was seriously lacking at the time. The bird can be seen as a stylized version of my cherished pet parakeet that had died about one year before the event. Taking control of the flight of the bird is an affirmation of ability and self-worth which I have struggled with in my day-to-day life. The trees were deciduous species similar to those native to my birthplace. I have always been fascinated with streams and creeks and would haunt these places as a child. The white enamel canyon resembles the edges of the bathtub that we had in our house when I was growing up. Notwithstanding all of these personalizations, certain elements of my experience resonate with the NDEs that multitudes of other people have had. So it seems to me that the pith is essentially the same in most cases, but the details are specific to the person having the experience. The universe without matter exists and is malleable to our thoughts. Not only is it more real than this contrived world, but more magnificent. And that ends her story. It is true, I think, and I haven't read and heard related many, many near-death experiences or similar mystical experiences, um, that uh, these experiences are personalized. Um, You could say they are self-created by your own consciousness outside of the body, or they're presented to you by beings that know a whole lot more about you than you do. Um, I don't have the answer to that. But it's true how similar in some ways NDEs can be and, and how personalized and different NDEs can be as well. It makes this a very, very interesting topic indeed. Well, I... Read two stories that were not, strictly speaking, near-death experiences, but they give you, I hope, an indication that there are many forms of mystical experience besides the NDE. Um, the first story was one of those, um, and I chose it to remind listeners not to discount any mystical experiences you may encounter in your own life. If you'd like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about the work of IANS and our upcoming conference in Denver, check out that website, IANDS.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>